starting at verse 26. We have begun a series of Christmas messages in the first chapter of of the Gospel of Luke. And last week we saw the very first angel announcement to Zechariah about the birth of John the Baptist. And now this morning, as we come to the second announcement, it is the announcement to Mary about the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's start at verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will see, conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? Now as we come to this second announcement, what we see here written for us by Luke are essentially two very main thrusts that he shares with us. Number one, we have introduced to us a very ordinary woman, Mary, who is the mother of a baby. And obviously there's nothing unique about that. But then when we begin to look at what is said about this baby, we discover that this baby is into anything but ordinary. And so in this second announcement, there are two very important themes. Number one, an ordinary mother. But number two, an extraordinary baby. And those are essentially the two lessons in this second announcement at Christmas. And what's interesting is the two lessons are taught to us by way of two contrasts. Jesus is contrasted with John the Baptist, and Mary is contrasted with Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist. And this first contrast tells us all about Jesus, and the second contrast tells us all about us. Aren't you glad that you came today? Isn't that really what the Bible is all about? The Bible tells us all about Jesus, and then it tells us all about us. And so what we want to do this morning is these two things. We want to learn the truth about Jesus, and then we want to learn the truth about us. So let's look this morning at these two contrasts 
that teach us these two great lessons. Would you take a moment and bow with me in prayer? Lord, when we boil it all down, the Bible is about two things. It's about Jesus, who He is, what He's done, what He will do. And it's about us and why we need Him. How we can have Him as Lord and Savior and what He will do if we will trust Him in that way. And so, thank you for Luke, the author of the third gospel. Thank you for all the trouble he went to to make these truths real to us and teach us now through his inspired pen. For Jesus' sake, amen. Now, if you look with me at this opening chapter, you will see two very important contrasts. If you look back at verse 15 in chapter 1, it says that John the Baptist would be great before the Lord. But then if you look ahead, about 15, 16 more verses, it says about Jesus, he will be great. Now, do you see the contrast? John would be great before the Lord, but Jesus is simply great. Now, what I find very, very helpful here is that Mary was probably about 14 years of age when she conceived the Lord Jesus. Luke wrote his gospel around 58 A.D. What that means is, if Mary was still alive when Luke wrote his gospel, she was in her 70s. How many think it's very possible she was still alive? Very possible. So Luke, as active as he was in the early church, would have known Mary. He would have personally talked with her and interviewed her. And so what we have here, get this, is very likely a first-hand account from Mary, the mother of Jesus. And it is extraordinary what she tells us. Now, I want you to see the evidence, first of all, that Jesus is indeed greater than Mary. Or, excuse me, Jesus is greater than John the Baptist. First of all, Mary tells us through the inspired pen of Luke that a greater miracle was required. Now you recall from last week that the conception of John the Baptist was a miracle, but get this, it was a miracle of a natural kind. We are told that Elizabeth was infertile. There was something wrong. And as a result, conception was prevented. I've known over the years more than one woman who had endometriosis. And because of that endometriosis, it prevented conception. Perhaps that's what happened with Elizabeth. We do not know. But then the Bible tells us that because of advanced age, she became postmenopausal. 
Her ovaries were no longer producing eggs. A miracle obviously was needed. And what kind of miracle was it? Well, it was this. God caused dead ovaries to produce an ovum. And when Zechariah finished his duties at the temple and he went home, He impregnated his wife, sperm and egg came together, an embryo was conceived in the womb of Elizabeth, and John the Baptist began to exist for the very first time. Is that a miracle? Yes, but a miracle in the natural order. Two parents produced an embryo through fertilization. Now, the conception of Jesus was also a miracle, but that was a miracle of a supernatural kind. Three times in the verses that I read for you, Mary is called a virgin. Now, what that tells us, obviously, is she could produce an ovum, but because she was only engaged to Joseph and not married to him at this point and living with him as husband and wife, there was no father to fertilize. You know what that means? No matter how many eggs she produced, conception could not occur without a father. So I want you to think, in this case, God could not use a natural process. Only a supernatural miracle would do. Now let me ask you, have you ever thought about this? Why this distinction in these miracles? Why the first miracle was a miracle, but it used a natural process? The second miracle was a greater miracle because it was a supernatural process. Why? Well, it has to do with the next evidence that Mary shares with us that the angel gave to her. A greater son was to be born. Look at what the angel said in verse 32. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. Now, the Most High was a way of referring to God by the Jewish people who had such high reverence for the name of God that they did not want to use that name. This is what we call a circumlocution where you refer to something in a roundabout way, and they would refer to God by using a different title. Most High is a way simply of referring to God. So Son of the Most High here literally means Son of God. And you see that down in verse 35, because we are told that the child that would be born would be the Son of God. Now, We all know as we read our Bibles, Son of God is a title for deity. Every time Jesus is called the Son of God, it is telling us that He is God Himself. And how do we know that? 
Look at how he is described here in these verses. It's very, very clear what Son of God means. When he is called great, in the Old Testament, whenever the word great is used absolutely without any qualifiers or modifiers, it always refers to God and God alone. Only God is only called great, absolutely, without any modifiers. Now, by the way, doesn't the children's prayer teach us that? God is great. God is good. Let us thank Him for His food. Even that little children's prayer tells us only God is great. Son of is a very interesting Hebrew thought. In Hebrew thought, to be the son of someone meant to be a carbon copy of that person. So that if you said so-and-so is the son of such-and-such a father, what you meant is that boy has all of the qualities of his father. We would say today he's a chip off the old block, right? And Son of the Most High, the great God, means Jesus has all the exact qualities of God. And then here is the real kicker. When Mary went to visit her relative, Elizabeth, later in the chapter, the Bible tells us that Elizabeth called Two persons, Lord. Look down at verse 43. Elizabeth sees Mary who comes through the door of her home to rejoice with her because Elizabeth is now in her sixth month. And notice what she says. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Who is called Lord here? It's the child. That Mary has conceived. It is the baby Jesus. And then look down at verse 45. And Mary says, Elizabeth says this, And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Who spoke through the angel Gabriel to Mary? It was God the Father. Do you see what Elizabeth can do? She can call the baby that is conceived in the womb of Jesus, Lord, Yahweh in the Old Testament. And she can call the God who spoke through Gabriel and sent him from heaven, Lord, Yahweh in the Old Testament. The same title for God that is applied to God the Father is applied to Jesus. By the way, this explains how Jesus can do what Gabriel says about Him. Look back at verse 32 and 33 and notice what He says about this baby that is going to be conceived. He will reign on the throne of His father David... He will reign over the house of Jacob, that is Israel, forever. 
And of His kingdom there will be no what? No end. I'd like to say to you this morning, only a resurrected, exalted, returning Savior can do that. Only a resurrected, exalted, returning Savior can do that. Did you notice back in chapter, verse 1, chapter 16, it said about John the Baptist, he will turn many to the Lord their God? That's what he would do? He would turn many to the Lord their God? Now what are we learning about Jesus? Jesus is the Lord their God. Jesus is the Lord their God. He is a greater Son. Now, I want you to notice another evidence for His greatness. Number three, a greater conception was accomplished. A greater conception was accomplished. Look at verse 35. And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now in this explanation of what we call the virgin birth, we learn two things. We learned how this virgin conception, which is really what it is, it was a normal birth, what it was was a virgin conception. We learn how it, how it occurred, and then secondly, we learn what it teaches us. Notice how it occurred. The angel said, here's what's going to happen. The Holy Spirit, Mary, is going to come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. The word overshadow is a very, very delightful word for all Jewish people. It was used of the Shekinah glory of God in the cloud that hovered over the people of Israel as they came out of Egypt, led them, gave to them the presence of God, and protected them, and led them step by step through the wilderness. Now I want you to think about this. In the same way, the angel says to Mary, the Holy Spirit is going to come and overshadow you. He will hover down upon you. And because He brings the presence of God, the power of God, and the protection of God, in your womb will be conceived the God-man. Now as we think about this, we are taken way, way back into the Old Testament and we are reminded of a time very, very early in the Bible 
in which the Holy Spirit did a very similar thing. If you're tracking with me, you're thinking of Genesis 1, 1 and 2. And notice what it says. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And finish the last phrase with me. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. You know what Genesis is telling us? That God used the Holy Spirit's creative power as He hovered over the formless and void earth to bring earth into existence. And now in the same way the Holy Spirit's creative power would hover over Mary creating Jesus' human nature. And if we say that's impossible, well, nothing is impossible with God, right? The God who could use the power of the Holy Spirit to see everything, everything we see come into existence clearly could hover over Mary to bring into existence the human nature of Jesus. And then notice what this supernatural conception teaches us. Look at verse 35. He will be called holy. That's a reference to the purity of Jesus. So the virgin birth is telling us that Jesus was sinless. That God, in His supernatural creation of His human nature, protected Him from the sin nature that all of us have. He was sinless. And then it says He will be called the Son of God. So what this means is, Jesus' divine nature preexisted His birth. And in the virgin birth, His divine nature was united with His human nature to give us the true nature of Jesus. Both God and man in one person. And so look, look. A greater miracle was required a greater son was born. A greater conception was accomplished. When I was a student in Chicago, Warren Wiersbe was my pastor at Moody Church. And I want you to notice what Warren Wiersbe said. He said, The virgin birth of Christ is a key doctrine. For if Jesus Christ is not God come in sinless human flesh, then we have no Savior. Jesus 
had to be virgin born. Let me ask you, uh, how would you answer this question? One day uh, a person came to a Christian and said to them, referring to a child, if I told you that this child was born without the intervention of a human father, would you believe it? How would you answer that question? That Christian thought about that for a little bit. If I told you this child was born without the intervention of a human father, would you believe it? And that Christian said this, yes, I would, if he were able to grow up and live like Jesus. And isn't that the answer? Why do we believe the virgin birth? Well, we believe it. Because nothing is impossible with God. But we also believe it because the very life and ministry, death and resurrection and exaltation of Jesus proves it. Well now, that takes us now to Mary in this second announcement. All right? So let's turn to Mary for just a moment. This is actually where you and I come in, in this opening chapter, as we see this contrast now between Zechariah the priest and Mary. And I want you to notice the contrast. Here's what it is. We have a priest named Zechariah, and we have a virgin named Mary, and did you notice it is said she was from Nazareth in Galilee. Now, you ready for this? What is this contrast telling us? Mary was lower than Zechariah. First contrast, Jesus is greater than John. Now this contrast, Mary was lower than Zechariah. By the way, that's a little surprising, isn't it? That's a little surprising, but it's true. He was a priest, she was a nobody. He served in one of the great cities of the world, Jerusalem. She was from Nazareth. That's like being from Podunk, Iowa. He was respected. She was only a teenager. He was important. She was unknown. What is God teaching us here? God is teaching us something that is so very vital. Jesus came for the lowly. That's what God is teaching us. If we want Jesus to be our Savior, our Lord, we have to come to Him like Mary is presented to us. Let's just look, shall we, at the lessons that Mary teaches us, all right? 
here are the lessons that are for every one of us that are here this morning. And I want you to jot them down in your mind and in your heart. Number one, we all desperately need grace. Look at what the angel said in verse 28 to Mary. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now, I want you to focus on the two different times Mary is said that she has found favor with God. Do you know? That's the normal word for grace in the New Testament. And grace means God's goodness towards those who could never earn it or never deserve it. It is the normal word we find in our Bible that says when God gives us His grace, it's something we cannot merit, we cannot deserve. It comes to us freely of His gift. You know, a number of years ago, I had a person try to convince me that from this verse, Mary is sinless because the verse says she's full of grace. He said, that's what it means. She's the favored one. She's full of grace. Therefore, it means that she was sinless. The opposite is true. Mary was a receiver of grace, not a bestower of grace. People who need grace are sinners. That's why she's so shocked. Not only do I not understand how this can come about, my husband and I have not consummated our marriage yet, but you're choosing me for this role? You know what this is telling us? We're all in the same boat with Mary. We're all sinners who desperately need grace. Do you see yourself that way today? Do you see that your need is so desperate before God that apart from His grace, there's no hope for you. That's what Mary teaches us. Notice the second lesson. Only the lowly appreciate grace. Look what she said in response to this revelation. Verse 38. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Do you know, since grace is something we can't do for ourselves, it is only the humble that appreciate grace. When Mary calls herself a servant here, it is the Greek word doulos. Doulos was the lowest place that you could occupy in the culture of that day. 
It means a female slave. It means a handmaid. You know what we would call her? We would call her housemaid. If we wanted to be very blunt, you know what we'd call her? A scrub woman. If we just wanted to be blunt. She says here, Behold, I'm the scrub woman of the Lord. What that reflects is Mary's understanding about her humble station, her humble attitude, and her awe of God. Mary was not in awe of herself. She was in awe of God. And you'll never appreciate His grace until, first of all, you are in awe of Him and not yourself. You know, as I thought about this, I thought to myself, what is the one requirement of your hands in order to receive a gift? And isn't it that your hands have to be empty? If your hands are full, you simply cannot receive a gift that somebody is offering to you. If you have something in your hands and somebody offers you a gift, you have to take what's in your hands and you have to set it down so that your hands are empty so that you can receive what is being given to you. Now, I want you to think about this. If our hands are full of self, we have to lay that aside to receive grace. If our hands are full of sin, we have to turn from that to receive what God is offering. Our hands are satisfied with what the world has given to us. We have to empty them to receive what God is giving. You see, the Bible calls that repentance, doesn't it? When we empty our hands of sin and self and the world, and we say, Lord, I appreciate your grace. I'm in awe of you. I'm not in awe of myself. Then grace can be received because we appreciate what God is giving. Do you see what's going on here? Mary received grace because she appreciated grace. And then I want you to notice... The final lesson. Lesson number three. Grace can only be received by believing. Look at verse 39. In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? 
For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Elizabeth says, Mary, you're blessed for two reasons. Number one, the extraordinary child that you're going to bear, Jesus. The second reason you're blessed, you believe the bare word of God. Remember what Zechariah did? He doubted. He said, show me a sign. And God rebuked Zechariah for his weak faith. But Mary believed with no sign. And her faith was praised, and then she was given a sign. Your relative Elizabeth has also conceived. Do you see the contrast here? The lower one who saw herself in the right recognition before God, who appreciated the grace of God, believed the bare word of God, and as a result, she was praised for her faith because she didn't ask a sign. But the one who was higher, more important, more significant, he doubted, asked for a sign, and his faith was rebuked. Say, do you remember somebody else in the Bible who doubted and asked for a sign? Who was that? Doubting Thomas. The disciples have said, we've seen the Lord, and what did he say? Can't be. I don't believe. Unless I could put my finger in the nail prints in his hands and thrust my hand into the side where the sword went, I will not believe. What did Jesus do? He gave him a sign, didn't he? The greatest sign of all, the resurrection. And he appeared to him and he said, Thomas, put your finger here, put your hand here. Be not disbelieving, but believing. And the Bible says Thomas did what? My Lord. My God. And then, notice what Jesus said. Read it with me. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen, yet not believed. Mary believed without seeing. Why did she get a blessing for believing without seeing? Because when we believe without seeing... We are taking God at His word. What we are saying is, 
What God says is true. And He has been faithful in the past. He has proved Himself in many ways. Therefore, I need no more proof. I have all the proof that I need. I will take God at His word. I will honor God by believing what He has said. And when we believe in that way, we are receiving what we cannot do for ourselves. And God is always, always pleased with that kind of faith. Here are the lessons for you and I today. This is how the angel announcement to Mary applies to you and me. Let's read it together, shall we? Let's apply them to our hearts today. This is what Christmas means for us. Let's read them together. We all desperately need grace. Only the lowly appreciate grace. Grace can only be received by believing. Let's bow our hearts together. Have you come to Jesus in this way? Do you know Him personally as your Lord and Savior? This is why He came. This is why the Bible goes to all this trouble to teach us about His virgin birth, to show us His greatness, to present Him as the sinless God-man, the Savior, who would rise again, be exalted to the right hand of the majesty on high, and return in great glory to rule and reign forever and ever. And today, God brings you into the story to say you need His grace. You'll only receive it if you empty your hands and believing will bless you because you are honoring the bare word of God and receiving what you could never do for yourself. Listen, if you're not sure where you stand with the Lord, would you bow before Him now? Confess your need of Him. Let Him know that you are aware of your own weakness, your own lowliness, your own sinfulness. Tell Him that you believe that Jesus was sent for you. Be willing to empty your hands and trust Him as your Lord and Savior. Father, This is a season to 
proclaim the great and wondrous gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a season for those of us who know Him to rejoice. He is ours and we are His. And it's a season to invite others to come to that same assurance. I pray for anyone today who is unsure of where they stand with the Lord Jesus Christ. That by the presence of your powerful Holy Spirit who hovers in this very place today, that you will open blind eyes, you will soften hardened hearts, and you will bring men, women, boys, and girls into a relationship with the Savior who loved them and gave his life for them. Holy Spirit, do your work now. We're so thankful for all you've done for us. In Jesus' name, and all of God's people said together,